0: I will walk the way of the cross. No matter the cost, no matter the gain, I surrender all. Our music, the words we have sung, the words we have heard, I believe are preparing our hearts to hear the message that God has for us today as we continue to look at the parables of Christ, as we continue to to invite the parables to be a mirror through which we look deep within our heart, our mind, and our lives. So today I want to begin with a simple question. When was the last time that you had to sit down and count the cost? You had to sit down and consider the cost and the consequences of, of, of whatever was before you in your life. Maybe that decision was a decision to purchase something. Maybe it was time in your family to, to look at purchasing a, a new house or, or a new car. And you had to sit down and work through the cost of that and, and to see if you could afford that maybe you're approaching retirement and you've had to sit down and consider the cost to see if what you have prepared is going to be sufficient to to carry you through these last years of life maybe you've had to sit down and consider the cost of education to see if you're willing and able to make that investment In your life, in yourself, maybe you've had to sit down recently and consider the cost vocationally of of an opportunity to move, to transition, to take a, a different position. And you've had to sit down and consider the cost of that move and transition for you, for your family, as it impacts you vocationally. It could be that some of you have had to count the cost recently of caring for elderly parents or, or maybe making those decisions of, of life care towards the end of life. And you've had to sit down and weigh those costs. For some, we've had to consider medical decisions recently and count the cost. In my journey with cancer, we've had to sit down and count the cost of treatment to count the cost of not, not doing any treatment at all. I'm saying we're just going to ride this out. A cost that for my family and myself is too high a cost to not do anything. My sister called and said, you need to take care of this cancer and get well because I don't want to have to deal with our parents by myself. <laughs> sometimes we laugh and sometimes we cry, right? And I'm... Even through this struggle, and many of you have been through this struggle where the prognosis is not good. We are blessed with cancer that has a a good prognosis. And so we have counted the cost of what it means to enter into chemotherapy. Six sessions. I've completed one. A series that many of you have experienced and gone through yourself called chop. It's a series that's a 21-day rotation for myself. The cost of this treatment, just physically, that I'm anticipating, and I haven't hit the wall fully yet. Hair loss, nausea, vomiting, fatigue, loss of appetite, increased risk of infection and illness, to be easily bruised, mouth sores, and the list goes on. And those are just the good consequences and side effects doesn't count those small percentage consequences and side effects that, that some encounter and endure. As I was talking with a nurse and as I reflected, uh, the cost of losing my hair was one thing, but the cost of losing my mustache, I had to pause and say, do I really want to do this? <laughs> my kids have never seen me without a mustache. I haven't never kissed my wife without a mustache. The choir won't mean much difference to them because they get this view all the time. (laughs) Again, we can laugh or we can cry. Counting the cost for me meant not going to Peru with my son and our youth in a couple of weeks because I need to be here. It meant counting the cost of asking someone to come every three weeks during those weeks of treatment to preach, to be a pulpit guest during this season. I'm excited that Dr. Brown, Pastor Meredith, has agreed to come on Father's Day and to preach and to share and to complete the series of parables on the parable of the prodigal son. Of course, the side effects, counting the cost means that I've got to figure out what it means to slow down, take a deep breath, stay at home and rest, and be sick when I need to be sick. Again, I've been blessed so far to not have hit that wall. But what about our faith? What about your faith? Have you considered the cost? Have you really sat down and considered the cost of following Jesus? But you would say, but pastor, it doesn't cost anything to follow Jesus. Grace is free. God paid all the cost. God paid all the price. Let me remind us. That God's grace certainly is free. But it comes at a great cost. A great cost for Jesus who bore our sins and, and died on the cross and suffered on the cross. But that cost also comes to us. Grace is not an invitation to easy believism. Grace is not an invitation to some kind of Christian moralism where where we just have to be good moral people. Grace is not a license to sin. Well, you know what? I can sin and do whatever I want to because God's going to forgive me anyway. Isn't God's grace so good? Church, what we need to understand is that while grace is free, grace demands discipleship. Grace is the door of salvation which Jesus invites all to enter into life and forgiveness and His mercy. But it is also an invitation to enter into discipleship, a life of obedience and of following Him. And church, let me assure you that the two cannot be separated. That while grace is to all of us, grace is the invitation to come and to count the cost and to follow Jesus turn with me to Luke chapter 14 Luke chapter 14 offers two small very brief parables that invite us to count the cost to consider the consequences of what it means to follow after Jesus the first one is in chapter excuse me chapter 14 verse 28 and it goes like this For which one of you, Jesus is talking to the crowds, which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish." The invitation to grace and to salvation is one to come and to consider the cost of of building, if you would, and to say, I'm committing to carry this out and to, to finish this building to the end. That's what it means to follow Christ. To sit down and to count the cost and to commit to finishing the building that God has for us in our own lives. I'm a student of the 80s, and so... In those trips in the 80s as a student at OU, as we would go down to to Dallas for the game, many of you will relate to this. There was this house project that started on the south side of Sanger. A mansion we discovered as it began to be built. Huge, huge mansion that we watched go up. And then at some point along the way, the building stopped. Any of you know that house I'm talking about? Does anyone know the story? Well, maybe today you'll learn something about the story. Apparently, there's a couple in the 80s uh, that uh, were, were horse people, and they decided they wanted to, to provide a, a little horse ranch where they could, could buy and sell horses. And so they bought about 72 acres there, and their idea was we want to build this big, big mansion that we can invite horse buyers to come and to, to see our stock, and we can host them and treat them well. So they designed a 30,000 uh, foot, square foot home. The first level would be theirs. The second level would be designed complete with an elevator uh, as a hotel style so that they could invite their customers in and, and build that relationship and treat them to the time there as they were checking out the horses to see if they wanted to buy and just to treat them with incredible hospitality. And then the third floor would be a ballroom where they could host banquets, they could host events, uh, for for their guests and for uh, as, as part of their business and so they began with this incredible vision to build this home this incredible mansion if you would and then something happened along the way and I don't know the details about it but apparently the couple began to, to enter into irreconcilable differences and, and they divorced And as a part of that, they couldn't decide who was going to get the the unfinished house and who who could finish the unfinished house. So it just sat there. And for year after year after year, 80s, almost 40 years, sitting there, vacant, empty. Every time you drive by, you wonder, what is going on? What happened? In some ways, you could say, this couple in their relationship with each other, financially, whatever it was, they failed to count the cost. And now it's a landmark of not counting the cost, of not finishing what you began and what you started. Now, I'm told that there's a, a, a catering company or a, a, a hospitality group that has bought that. They're wanting to develop that and, and move, move, put that into something that, that can be useful. But it's an incredible illustration of having an incredible vision, but not sitting down and counting the cost to see if you could finish. And think of the waste. Think of the ridicule, the embarrassment, the shame of not having completed that. And What Jesus would say to us today is don't be that person. Count the cost. Count the cost before you begin to build. But then there's an, another story that Jesus continues on. A, another brief uh, parable it's a count the cost parable, but it comes with a little bit of different uh, a question. It's count the consequences. Consider the consequences of your decision one way or the other. And it goes like this verse 31. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to consider the one coming against him with 20,000 men? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. So again, we have this, this second story that's a, what I call, again, a, a consider the consequences question. For you see, this king was stuck with an incredible decision to make. He had an army of 10,000 men and he had to decide at that moment's notice whether his 10,000 men were better than 20,000 men. If, his, if he could battle two for one. In fact, greater than two for one. And he had to consider the consequences. What would mean if his army were totally defeated and annihilated by 20,000 other soldiers? And so he had to sit down And consider the cost. And then he had to make the decision and he couldn't wait too long. And how many of us want to wait too long to make that decision? For you see, the other king's army was coming toward them and there was a point of no return. And so the king had to make the decision, do I go and do I seek peace with this other king before it comes too late? Jesus is asking us to count the cost, to consider the consequences for to delay could be disastrous to delay could mean inevitable defeat if battle means defeat if you as, as king determine that your 10,000 men are not better than the 20,000 men then you must seek peace and to delay excuse me to delay in seeking peace could be catastrophic to you to the people that you have authority over into the culture and community in which you live, because it could be utterly destroyed by the oncoming army. I wonder if, if Jesus is asking us to consider the cost as well. Maybe to consider the cost of becoming a disciple. Philippians 2 tells us the end of the story. The end of the story says this, Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That Jesus Christ is King. Every tongue, every knee. We have a choice. We can do that now. We can seek peace with God now and receive that gift through Jesus Christ and we can bow and we confess Him as Lord and as my King and submit and surrender to Him now. And enjoy the privileges of that, or one day, if we choose not to seek peace now, in defeat, in the consequences of eternal defeat, we can bow our knee and confess Him as Lord and King at that time. Have you considered the cost? Have you counted the consequences of not seeking peace with God? Today, and of taking your chances for the future, Jesus would say, "Count your count the cost today, and seek peace with me now." But why did Jesus tell these two stories, these two parables of discipleship? Well, we need to go back up to the beginning of this story in verse twenty-five the Scripture tells us that there were large crowds that were were coming alongside of Jesus as He was traveling to and fro. And the crowds were increasing. But also, as we read and understand the context of, of Luke's story here from the beginning of chapter 14, we also know that the opposition against Jesus is growing as well. And so Jesus begins to tell this story of what it means to be one of His disciples, what it means to be one of His followers. You see, discipleship is more than just showing up. Discipleship is costly. And, and there's, there's a, a, a part of our church today, and I mean the, the large church, the church universal, that believes if we can just be part of the crowd, if we'll just show up, if we'll just walk along the path with Jesus and hear His stories, and laugh and and, and go along with the crowd, that that makes us a disciple and a follower of Jesus. And what Jesus is pausing and what he's sharing with this crowd is that that's not what discipleship means. And so he goes on and he, he says that discipleship demands sacrifice. And there are times when discipleship even means suffering. True discipleship is incompatible with partial commitment and casual Commitment. So he offers three cautions to us. And the first two are in verses 26 and 27. We've already read the third one. The third one is in verse 33 that says, None of you can be my disciple if you do not give up all of your possessions. But he he tackles a couple of more in verse 26. And these are what I'm calling, You cannot be my disciple passages. So he's saying to the crowd that's following him, Just want to have a a gut check here, a truth check. This is what it means to be a disciple, and this is what it means to not be a disciple. Verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And you say, wait a minute, Pastor. Jesus said we're supposed to hate We're supposed to hate our moms and dads. We're supposed to hate our children. We're we're supposed to hate people. Well, let me introduce you. Let me remind you, because I all know that you know this word, to this word called hyperbole. And Let's have just a brief review on hyperbole. Let's get the next screen up. Hyperbole is an exaggeration. Sometimes a great exaggeration in order to make a point and to, to, to really focus in on a truth. So let, let's start this out. Here's the hyperboles we're familiar with. I'm so hungry, I could, I could eat a horse. Very good. You're a skinny, not me, you're a skinny as a toothpick. My feet are killing me. I've told you a thousand, how about a million times, right? That's hyperbole. And so Jesus is using hyperbole here. He's not telling us to go out and hate our, our parents and our kids and our, our spouses. In, in the original language, the, the, the Jewish here would have understood exactly that Jesus was using hyperbole. In relationship to me, he's saying, that your love for me should be so great that in comparison, it's like you hate your, your parents. Your love for me is so great that, that in comparison, it's like you, you, you hate your family. He's not saying to hate your family. <laughs> but he's saying that, that our love for him, our love for God should be so much greater and so much more compassionate and passionate that it doesn't even compare, it's not even on the same comparison scale as our love for, for each other and as love for our possessions. Jesus is saying, if anyone comes to Me and does not love Me more than family, more than self, more than possessions, he or she cannot be My disciple. You see, Jesus demands our ultimate love with no conflict and no competition. One theologian put it this way. Would we ever consider that Satan... That Satan might use love or the love that I have for my wife or my child as something that might separate me from God. When we love others more than God, it is simply called idolatry. And let me assure you that when we love God first... And when we love God foremost in our lives, at that point, we learn to love others in a deeper and richer way than we could ever love them on our own. And so what Christ is saying, I think, is if you really want to know how to love your your family, your parents, then you love me first. If you really want to know how to love your kids, then love me first and foremost. And in that relationship, You'll discover and learn how you can love each other. A second caution that Jesus uses in verse 27 is the caution of loving ourselves more than God. Verse 27, and and I've changed the the words to be more accurate with the the Greek the the language. Uh, Your passage would say, whoever does not carry his own cross and, and come after me, but the idea is ongoing. It's not a, uh, I'm going to carry my cross to the church today and then I'm going to leave it there. It's the picture of carrying our cross all the time. Whoever does not keep on carrying and whoever does not keep on coming after me cannot be my disciple. It's an ongoing commitment. It's an ongoing sacrifice. And certainly we would understand that in that day to carry your cross didn't mean to put a gold necklace around your neck. We're in your ears or ear or on the back of your car or chariot when you carried your cross that was a symbol that was an an acknowledgement that you were committed to dying to yourself that you were committed to death and suffering whatever it meant to follow after Jesus whatever humiliation it meant you were going to embrace that, you were going to count that cost to follow after Christ. Jesus is the supreme cross-bearer. Yet He invites us to pick up our cross as well. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Galatians 2.20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in and through me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and to die. The person who has nothing to die for has nothing to live for. Jesus invites us to come. And to carry our cross. And in dying for Him, we discover how to live in newer and deeper and greater ways. Church, the way of the cross, the way of discipleship, is that we must learn what it means to sit down and consider. In both parables, in verse 28 and 31, the scripture tells us to sit down, to sit down and consider. Emotion and enthusiasm are insufficient for long-term discipleship. Yes, discipleship is an exciting adventure, but it's an adventure that's very demanding. It's a demanding way of life. Discipleship demands our attention. It demands our consideration. It demands our thoughtful commitment to Christ and to obey and to follow Him. Have you, have you truly and honestly sat down and considered the cost of following Christ? Have you sat down and seriously considered the cost of not following Christ? Church, there are many times. We talked about a few of those earlier in the sermon. There are many times when we must sit down before God and consider before we can stand up and meet the challenges of life. But let's, let's go back to these parables for just a minute. I'm fascinated that Jesus told two brief parables. He told one about building. And he told one about the battle. I wonder. I wonder if Jesus is using these two parables to describe what discipleship is all about. Do you remember the story of Nehemiah? Nehemiah was heartbroken because the wall in Jerusalem had been, had been torn down. And the people of Jerusalem were in despair. And so he got permission to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the wall. And they started laughing at him and ridiculing him. And, and the people around him, the, the enemies of Jerusalem, started to mock him. And yet Nehemiah rallied the, the people. And they began to build the wall. And the Scripture tells us that the enemies came against the people of God. And at one point, as they were building the wall, they completed the wall in 52 days. But at one point, the the fear became so great from the enemies. The threat from the enemies became so great that the Scripture tells us that they went to work to build the wall with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. Did you get that? in building the kingdom of god in following christ it takes a trowel in one hand the sword in the other let me explain jesus came to build his kingdom but jesus also came to battle and to defeat evil and injustice and immorality And as His disciples, He has called us to do the same. To build and to battle. Do you understand that as a disciple, as a follower of Christ, that we are called to build with one hand and to battle with the other hand? Have you counted the cost of what it means to follow Christ? Now we can't conclude this Portion until we look at verses 34 and 35, because I think this is the culmination, the conclusion of where Jesus is going with discipleship. Therefore, Jesus says, Salt is good. Discipleship is good. Come and follow me. Come and be a disciple. Count the cost, consider the consequences, but come and be a disciple because that is good. But if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? Tasteless salt is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is simply thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is calling us to be His disciple. And to be His disciple means that we must be salt in this place. Jesus' disciples build in battle. They preserve And they flavor the world. Church, Jesus was always up front with His disciples of what it meant to be His disciple. He never offered a disclaimer and He never hid the cost of His teachings and of following Him in the fine print. He wanted us to know the real costs of following after Him. Grace is free. Anyone who receives it is welcome to it. But discipleship, that which grace invites us to, is the door that that invites us to discipleship. Discipleship is costly. Regrettably, even tragically, the church, the church has tried to soft sell what it means to be a Christian. Why, just say this prayer and do these simple things. We may look like salt, But in so many places, the church has become tasteless, useless, good for nothing. The church in America has been weakened, compromised, through easy believism, through a theology that just says, say this prayer and do whatever you want to. Come and get dunked in the baptism and live however you want to. God's grace is free, but it is not cheap. To the crowds, Jesus turned and said, Come and be my disciple, but first count the cost. Church, those who fail to give Jesus Christ their all, those who fail to love God above all else, those who who fail to deny themselves, are in the same state of lostness as those who never took the step to come and listen in the first place. He who has ears, she who has ears, let them hear. This morning, in these moments, we're going to listen. And while we listen, I want to invite each of us to count the cost of following Christ and for others to count the cost of not following Christ. Let's pray.